0: Hello and welcome to The Book Album, your place for everything related to reading and language. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gents. Now, bookmark that book, and let's begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Hallo und herzlich willkommen zu unserem Podcast. The day has finally arrived when I can say welcome to The Book Album. Yes, our new name is finally here and in use. The book album is the name that will be replacing Didion Hawthorne and the in-between or DH and I. This episode is our intro episode of sorts where we'll be diving into the new name and then later in the episode reviewing Didion's The White Album for the second time ever on the show and I'm going to focus this time on part three of the collection which contains a few of her writings on women. I know we did a bit of a send-off or wrap-up for DH and I during the last episode with our montage of intros and guests, I'll have that linked in the description for you all to check out if you haven't, but I can't help also using this episode as a sort of bridge between the two eras of our show. To better explain why I've changed the name and what utility it brings to us, I have a couple of simple lists to go over. First, a list of qualities that I have loved about the name Didion Hawthorne and the Between. I wouldn't have stuck with it for three years if I didn't love it, so there definitely are things that I'm going to miss about it in some respects and things that I really have enjoyed about the name thus far. Number one, it is unique. Nothing even comes close to being called Diddy and Hawthorne and in the in-between on the internet except for this show, and that's a big deal. If you're trying to look up dh and you get the spellings and things right, you're going to end up with our show, and that has been a pretty valuable asset to us during our first three years of growing. Number two, it captures the spirit of the show. Over time, we have started to lean towards literature from the 1800s. Think Edgar Allan Poe, you can think Dickens as well, and recently published contemporary fiction, of course, works by Joan Didion, any of the Susan Choi stuff we've done recently. Also... Any newly published fiction, Frederick Bachman's Anxious People comes to mind. Helen Oyayami, we're gonna review a book by her, upcoming, that has just come out, so lots of contemporary fiction. And I understand that is quite a range, but we've done so many books from a wash of periods, styles, authors, countries you name it over the years. So having a title that encapsulates the breadth that we do have has been special because the listener is cued into the variety that they need to expect on the show just from the title. Number three, it's tradition. I came up with the name Diddy and Hawthorne in the in between more than three years ago at this point, and I spent the summer before college in 2018 preparing the first three months worth of episodes before we ever went live. So the name is something that has stuck around for a long time. Change can be hard and scary because as human beings we want consistency and we find safety and comfort in that continuity. So change in general is hard and the tradition was nice to stick with for the three years that we did. All right, second, a list of qualities that I have wanted to update about the named Didion, Hawthorne, and the in-between four years. Number four, It is not memorable and it is not searchable. (laughs) These two attributes go hand in hand. And what I realized early on was that even though I had nailed the uniqueness quality I had done that at the expense of the name being searchable on podcasting platforms, for example, memorable for people who didn't get the chance to write it down in conversation to give another example. Also, it's not very spellable. (laughs) People who don't know Didion or Hawthorne might get the spellings wrong. They might not include the hyphen in in in-between, for example, common mistake, and after the first search of something on Google, people tend to go, too hard, better luck next time. Number five, it has an awkward acronym. I put a lot of stock in acronyms and monikers as well because I am at this point in my life an academic slash professional student meaning that if i abbreviate something it by necessity has to be easier to remember pinpoint etc than the original and i would argue that for our listeners the acronym is unfortunately no easier than the name to remember correctly number six it is too complicated I'm a minimalist, and even aside from that trait, let's put that aside for a second, I like things to be simple in life. This name is not simple, which again leads to the aforementioned issues. And third, a list of corresponding reasons for why I have chosen the book album as our new name. Number one, it is also unique. Believe it or not, no one else has used the name The Book Album on a project yet, at least not from what we could find on the internet, so surprisingly, I think it does check this box, as the old name did. Number two, it also captures the spirit of the show. If we take the literal meaning of the book album, it is clearly an album of books, which is what the show is. Our show is a digital album of books and other bookish concepts or ideas. What I love, and something that I thought long and hard about when formulating a new name, is that it also pays homage to Didion Hawthorne and the In Between because it is adjacent to the title, The White Album, The Collection we'll be talking about in a moment, by Joan Didion, formerly one of our namesake authors. Three, it will become tradition. It became clear to me about a year ago that we were outgrowing our name, kind of like how a hermit crab outgrows its shell. And what excites me about this new name and this new opportunity to welcome a marginal amount of change into the show is that it will allow us to keep growing consistently. Number four, it is memorable and searchable, hence the growing, hence the shell changing. Number five, its corresponding acronym WORKS. You will probably hear me call the show TBA, repurposing the classic acronym TO BE ANNOUNCED to match the show's new title, of course, the book album. And number six, it is simple. It is to the point. It makes my simple heart sing. Logistically and at the risk of being overly repetitive, two aspects of the show are changing, the logo and the name, that's it. Leo DeSenza is continuing to come up with new music for us, but they've been composing for the show since January 1st, so nothing new there. In essence, we will still be the same show on the inside, that is, in terms of content, length, form, etc., just with a different outward aesthetic. All of our websites, etc., will also be under the same links. If you have questions, feel free to email us at Hawthorne at gmail.com. You can also comment on the show notes for this episode at relevanceofliterature.com notes under the post for this episode. Also linked there will be any sources or past episode links that I mention during the show today. According to my years-long reading list, the first time I read The White Album by Joan Didion was in 2018, sometime in the first half of the year, which would have been as I was graduating high school. The more I read Didion, the more I understand how mature her writing is, and being able to read this book, books like El Salvador and Democracy by her gosh, especially books like Blue Nights and A Year of Magical Thinking. Being able to read books like that has made me a better reader, someone who is more empathetic, and also they give me a good dose of humility because every time I read them there are passages, words, concepts, people, that and who I don't understand entirely. There are things that I have to come back to and look up and bookmark for later. And each time I reread a book like The White Album for a second or third or upteenth time, it's like I'm inching open that window into the eyes of Didion just that much more. When I have read this book previously, and evidently we have reviewed this book once before all the way back on episode 21, which is linked in the show notes, the first two parts were the parts that stuck out to me in particular. Those first two parts are the most famous parts of the book, in my experience, from what I've heard from others. They are the parts that strike me perhaps as more relatable than the second two, which are more distantly written by comparison, and I think intentionally so. All of the famous quotes, you know the ones, in lieu of divorce for example, are heavily weighted into those first two parts as well. So all around as a reader in 2018 and 2019 who is just striking into the maturity level of this kind of literature, those were such literary gems for me. This time when I read the collection, I really honed in on Didion's essays on women, which are in the third part of the collection, aptly titled, of course, Women. I recently read and reviewed Let Me Tell You What I Mean by Joan Didion, which is a wide ranging collection of essays, I believe from the 60s to the year 2000. That collection, by the way, blew me out of the water, so I'll link my review of it in the show notes as well. So I digress, but the thing that stuck out to me about that collection was an essay that she wrote about Martha Stewart, and I thought that the way she contextualized and in some ways rewrote the narrative of Martha Stewart was so astute and something that I had never seen before. So when I got to the second half of the White Album again and I started reading these essays on the women's movement and Doris Lessing and Georgia O'Keeffe, they stuck out to me similarly as such poignant portraits of these figures. For the purposes of this episode, I'm going to do a deep dive into the third piece in this third section, which is on Georgia O'Keeffe and was written in 1976. All right, let's dive into the story itself here. I'm reading from page 126 of the White Album. Quote, Where I was born and where and how I've lived is unimportant, Georgia O'Keeffe told us in the book of paintings and words published in her 90th year on Earth. She seemed to be advising us to forget the beautiful face in the Stieglitz photographs. She appeared to be dismissing the rather condescending romance that had attached to her by then the romance of extreme good looks and advanced age and deliberate isolation. It is what I have done with where I have been that should be of interest. I recall an August afternoon in Chicago in 1973 when I took my daughter, then seven, to see what Georgia O'Keeffe had done with where she had been. One of the vast O'Keeffe Sky Above Clouds canvases floated over the back stairs in the Chicago Art Institute that day, dominating what seemed to be several stories of empty light, and my daughter looked at it once, ran to the landing, and kept on looking. "'Who drew it?' she whispered after a while. I told her. "'I need to talk to her,' she said finally." I think what this opening paragraph does, and this is such a short essay, by the way, it's only a couple of pages. I think it's one of the shortest in the book. What this opening paragraph does is it introduces Georgia O'Keeffe as this figure, and it does so through her words and through her work, which I think is um, just, wow, such a re- representative sample, right, of who she was. And for me, Georgia O'Keeffe has kind of a personal tint to her. Um, she's not only an American figure, of course, uh, really strong female character from my childhood, but also she's a Southwestern figure, and as someone who grew up in the Southwest, I was exposed to Georgia O'Keefe's work and her style and her thoughts about the world from a really early age. There's this interesting dichotomy with Georgia O'Keefe that I've been living with for quite some time and I think is characteristic of her her and her work, which is that while she famously lived in isolation, her paintings are not in isolation, right? So we have her as a figure, as a human being, obviously, living in these isolated places in Texas and New Mexico later, and her paintings are in places like the Chicago Art Institute um, has several of her paintings on display. I saw them a couple weeks ago myself um, and they're just stunning but she has this again dichotomy between her physical presence and kind of her metaphorical ideas about art and her ability to create art versus her paintings, the production of her art which are uh, extremely so in the public eye. And I think something that is worth mentioning and is also very interesting is that I was not ever exposed to a real life Georgia O'Keeffe painting until I moved to Chicago for college and uh, having that, again, juxtaposition of growing up with her so in the forefront, forefront as a Southwestern figure, as an American figure, as a strong female Uh, but also not seeing actual work of hers, even though this area of the world is kind of her purview, until I moved into a big city, was striking to me. So Didion goes on to have a really interesting philosophical discussion, and it's brief, but it's about how what Quintana Realized that day, or the implication she was picking up on, was that style is character, and that's a quote from page 127. There seemed to be, um, especially in Quintana's mind, these attributions between uh, this painting style, I think also it could be applied to, for example, this writing style, this style of being or creation or production has some bearing on character, what type of person they are. Um, and I love that little anecdote about at the beginning about <laughs> Quintana saying, I need to talk to her. Um, because I think we often, even as adults, feel that need of, I need to know who is behind this beautiful thing that has touched me so much. Didion then goes on to talk about a couple qualities of her, of Georgia O'Keeffe, that is. Um, She's hard. She describes uh, O'Keefe's hardness. That's a word from page 127. Also, she describes her as aggressive in 128 and I think both of these words are really apt because they're words that describe not just things or qualities or sensual Attributes, at least that we know about her in the public eye, right, that are essential but or different maybe from other women, but they're also exceptional qualities that have in some ways fueled her to do things differently than was the status quo, for example, in Georgia O'Keeffe's World and Life as a Painter. She then goes on, Didion does, to observe that, and I think this is something so essential to maturing in your own life, is the observation that it was not O'Keeffe's upbringing that was remarkable, but it was her reaction to the upbringing. And I think so often when we're trying to understand where excellence comes from, we look at someone's past. And I think the past and For example, someone's childhood can be so integral to how they end up doing the things they end up doing. But there also has to be a realization that people are different to the extent that there are common factors in upbringing, right? Divorce, for example, different circumstantial factors, where you are brought up for the majority, if you move a lot, all of those kinds of things. Uh, qualities, rather, in your childhood that are in some ways universalized because of how many people go through them. And yet, these individuals' reactions to those things are different somehow. And I think that's something that Didion really does a good job of drawing out in O'Keefe's case. So really what Didion is doing is she's brilliantly... Uh, bringing up and piecing together facets of Georgia O'Keeffe that seem to be essential and in that way are also instructive to us readers, to those on the outside of O'Keeffe's life. I want to also read the last couple sentences in this short story because I think they're just really wonderful. In a way, one's interest is compelled as much by the sister Claudia with the gun as by the painter Georgia with the star, but only the painter left us this shining record. Ten watercolors were made from that star. Unquote. So, first of all, this reminds me so much of, apart from "Pretend It's a City," uh, Fran Lebowitz, the New York socialite, talks about. What's impactful about music and other forms of art like music is that you have something left over at the end of the day, right? A Coltrane record you can still listen to today, even though it was recorded in 1960. And that's something that sports and other forms of achievement or accomplishment, or perhaps art like sports, Uh, really don't offer in the same way. You don't experience, in Leibovitz's mind, um, this same game when you've already watched the game the first time and you know the outcome. She explains it better than I do. Go to Pretend It's a City. That will be linked down below. So it strikes me that didion is bringing up a quality that she herself also has but she's bringing it up in o'keefe um and she talks about that quality in let me tell you what i mean in the essay why i write on pages 46 and 47. i'm an excerpt from that book as well quote in short i tried to think i failed my attention veered inexorably back to the specific to the tangible to what was generally considered by everyone I knew then and for that matter have known since the peripheral. I would try to contemplate the Hegelian dialectic and would find myself concentrating instead on a flowering pear tree outside my window and the particular way the petals fell on my floor." Unquote. Wow, I, I love, again, these essays in this book. Let me tell you what I mean. It's a 2021 edition. Uh, that has just come out, and these stories are not new, of course, but they have never been collected together in this way, and I think that what is fascinating about short story or essay collections in this case is that the way that the stories are ordered, the way that they fit together, also brings different concepts, different qualities about the writer to the forefront and so even though these stories aren't new the way they're collected being new brings up a lot about didion uh collectively again that i think is super valuable towards understanding her writing understanding uh the mind of a great writer so like georgia o'keefe didion is engrossed by things that are peripheral, the specific and the tangible, and what's left behind by that fascination importantly is the art that these women produce. All right, that wraps up our first episode of the book album and the 186th episode of our show in general. Thank you all so much for hanging in with us as we have rebranded, introduced new music, done all the things over the years. I really, really appreciate your time and your attention. All right, we will see you next week.